Well, the last half hour, we spoke about the impact of the so-called Freedom Convoy, the blockades of border crossings in this country, the invocation of the Emergencies Act. Now, heading into 2022, it was clear that this would likely be another year of crises, as so many of the previous ones had been for the Trudeau government. Some were already relatively easy to predict. The pandemic was obviously a top of mind concern. Omicron was starting to really explode. The consumer price index was already hovering around 5%. So inflation and affordability were on many people's minds. So was affordable housing and a labor shortage. But again, soon new crises would emerge. First, as we looked at in the first half hour, the convoy uh, protests and subsequent blockades in Ottawa and at border crossings thrust the issue of mandates into a very bright spotlight. And the politics of the pandemic as well. Here's how the Prime Minister characterized those who were protesting the mandates. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent the views of Canadians. The Prime Minister speaking there um, before the the convoy actually arrived in Ottawa, but the words fringe minority, that really touched a lot of raw nerves. Uh, People seeing once again a politics of division uh, that was being sowed by by the federal government, by the Trudeau government, when it came to those who were fine with the mandates, of which many people were, of course pitting those them against those who weren't. Of course, he was not the federal party leader that would ultimately lose his job because of all that. That would be former Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, ousted by his very own caucus as those horns were honking outside Parliament. And after a pretty acrimonious leadership race that featured several candidates, including former Quebec Premier Jean Charest, Pierre Poliev, the longtime, almost lifelong member of Parliament, would emerge not just as the winner, but really as the downright winner with a tough new line and huge support within the party. Tonight begins the journey to replace an old government that costs you more and delivers you less with a new government that puts you first. Pierre Poliev there accepting uh, victory uh, in the Conservative leadership race. Long before that happened, though, the idea we would have an election soon kind of went away because the Liberal government had negotiated some stability of its own, brokering a confidence and supply agreement with the NDP that will, if all goes well, allow it to rule until 2025. What we've been able to do is to use our power in this minority government to get help to people, to get to help to people in this difficult time. And I want you to know, we've got your back. Jagmeet Singh there, NDP leader, discussing that deal. Of course, those deals often go wrong for the smaller party. And that was the question going into it. What exactly would the NDP get out of this? Uh, dental care was one of them. We saw that uh, come to fruition to some extent this year already. But who takes credit for that? And now that we have a new conservative leader, what will 2023 look like in federal politics? On the provincial side, we had some incumbents roll to another victory in both Ontario and Quebec. But we had a real changing of the guard uh, in a few other provinces, including Alberta, where Jason Kenney's time in office came to a pretty unceremonious end. Well, joining me now to look at all of this is Shachi Curl. She's president of the Angus Reid Institute. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome to our year in review. Canadian politics. Thanks. Thanks again. As always, a lot to pack in. I, I guess you mentioned um, you've talked about this before, but really it's hard to talk about politics in Canada this year without starting with the convoy. It really all kind of seeped from there, did it not? 
It really felt as though it did. And it tapped into so many undercurrents that, that we'll probably end up talking about. I mean, it it, it really was uh, a really critical time in terms of how both leading federal parties reacted and didn't react and did react in the right ways and in the wrong ways. And it was very much a time where we saw both the liberal and, and uh, conservative leaders and caucuses at the time really playing to their bases. And instead of trying to reach across the divide, you saw some of the federal provincial interplay ongoing through the Freedom Convoy. You saw it through the lens of political stability. Would it be the thing that triggered another federal election? Of course, in the end, it didn't. It was also the time we saw the conservative base and caucus uh, dump their former leader, Aaron O'Toole, uh, paving the way for Pierre Poilievre's ascension to the leadership of the party and and an even more brittle and kind of edgy relationship between opposition leader and prime minister. And, and that's sort of where we are at the end of 2022. So lots it to was. unpack, but all Absolutely. of it, all of it stemming from the Freedom Convoy. It was. So let's start with the government. Let's start with with the prime minister and the government, because they clearly decided to stake some territory when this they knew this was coming and then had to live with it in their backyard. Uh, this was one where where it was hard to really assess just what just how well Prime Minister Trudeau did with this one, because ultimately he was accused of playing divisive politics. I think arguably both he and conservative leadership, whether it was then putative leader, Mr. Poiliev, uh, calling the convoyers heroes at a time when they were harassing and traumatizing residents of Ottawa and, and behaving in criminal ways. You also saw the prime minister at the time taking every opportunity to really cast the movement and the dissatisfaction that was being expressed from people in Alberta and other parts of the country as when questions were asked in the House and question period by a conservative MP around why the prime minister was not moving to to try and resolve some of the tension. Uh, he gave an answer that ended with talking about, you know, in a very with us or against us way, talking about standing with swastikas. So you really saw in many ways the worst of both leaders through the management or the mismanagement, if you will, of the convoy. And then just um, about a month later... All of a sudden, all the speculation about what kind of impact this would have on a potential election, all of a sudden it all went away. The NDP and the Liberals had a deal, and suddenly there was stability in Ottawa. And we don't talk about it a lot, but it really did help shape the last year. It certainly did in that you talk about that stability factor. So, you know, if you look at all parties, again, from a purely political standpoint, it gave them all a chance to take a breath, build up their war chest, you know, relieve their volunteers. From a legislative standpoint, we started to see some of the things that the NDP asked for as a result of agreeing to a confidence and supply agreement. So around the, the introduction of, of legislation around dental care and other items. The, the question is always, or the reality is always, you know, someone's on the top bunk and someone's on the bottom bunk in these types of relationships and who gets the credit for it. And you see it out there with NDP with the NDP leader, obviously, Mr. Singh, and with his proxies and caucus talking about, hey, the NDP got this done, the NDP got that done. But we also know that generally that the the smaller or or the weaker, call it what you will, partner in these types of agreements, 
does not traditionally benefit from the participation or the role they play in bringing about some of this legislation come election time. And on the conservative side, uh, right in the middle of the convoy, we suddenly had the ouster of Aaron O'Toole and a leadership race, a leadership race that turned in to a pretty acrimonious one, all told. Acrimonious, and then at the end, really uh, not much of a race, more of a coronation. It really ultimately came down to this year and this particular leadership race a fight over, you know, the beating heart and soul of the conservative movement in this country in 2022 and really putting to bed or or wiping out the last vestiges of progressive conservatism. You know, what was interesting about the 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 matchup between former Quebec premier, former conservative cabinet minister federally Jean Charest and Mr. Poiliev had to do with the fact that there is a fatigue factor for many middle of the road or centrist liberal voters. There is a cohort of about six to eight percent of past liberal voters who are actually looking for something of an alternative. But every time they walk up to the line and they and they assess the conservative party, whether it had been under Andrew Scheer or whether it had been under Aaron O'Toole, we may not be particularly enamored of Justin Trudeau, but we'll continue to vote liberal rather than voting conservative. Chade represented a, a centrist type of leader that could have pulled a lot of liberal votes. But of course, it's not the general public or the general electorate that decides who leads parties. It's members. The membership and the grassroots and the base were unequivocal in saying, we want Pierre Poiliev. We want to be the big, hard C conservative party. And we'll have to see how that decision on part of party membership uh, shakes out whenever the next federal election comes. I have informed the president of the party of my intention to step down as leader of the United Conservative Party. I don't think I've ever experienced a situation in my lifetime where a person was fired from their job or not allowed to watch their kids play hockey. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Shachi Curl is with us, uh, president of the Angus Reid Institute. We're talking about the year that was in Canadian politics in our year in review for 2022. Um, to the provinces now, and I guess we can start with Ontario and Quebec because we had two pretty popular premiers in both those provinces, very weak opposition, and they both rolled to victory this year. How much do you think it was the message, the sort of populist touch that each Doug Ford and Francois Legault have? And how much was it just how weak their opposition was, do you think? particularly in the case of Ontario, so we'll take the second one first, it was absolutely about the weakness of the opposition. So what we saw was Andrea Horwath, I think this was her fourth election without a breakthrough for the Ontario NDP, the Ontario Liberals very much at, at sea, each of them sort of splitting the vote, getting about a quarter of the vote in a very low turnout Ontario election that saw Doug Ford gain a majority, but not exactly with a lot of enthusiasm, a great deal of endorsement. With Doug Ford, it clearly hasn't taken a long time for the political acrimony that trailed him through the first four years of his mandate to return 
We saw it with the with the challenges around school strikes, around QP workers, around Ontario taking a very strong, almost some might call it belligerent action around bringing in the notwithstanding clause. None of that is going to stand in particularly good stead for for Premier Ford. He is in a place where he's not particularly popular. He's not particularly well regarded, but he is holding his base together in the face of not much action really on part of either opposition party, which are in rebuild modes. In Quebec, you had a premier who's popular in sort of a, a strong man or a papa premier style that, you know, presided over some of the most draconian, strict uh, restrictions during the course of the pandemic that were incredibly unpopular. And yet Quebecers awarded Mr. Legault with another remit. You talk about the politics of populism. It also very much was an election that bore witness to, in many ways, the collapse of the once mighty Quebec liberals. Um, Of course, it was also out west in Alberta, home to more brouhaha in terms of provincial politics with Jason Kenney. (laughs) I I was going to mention Jason Kenney also marched to victory not that long ago. And before the end of his mandate, he was gone. He tested his own party and lost. Uh, It was quite the scene to see, having covered Kenney, obviously, when he was a cabinet minister in Ottawa. But to watch his downfall was an unceremonious end. And then speaking of populism, in comes Danielle Smith with with some new ideas, needless to say. If that's a word for it. So Jason Kenney, you know, drove his pickup truck onto the provincial politics stage and then like just drove it off and crashed it. It was it was a pretty ignominious end. Jason Kenney suffered from what often happens to conservative leaders, or uh, you could even say it happens to left of center leaders, too. When a leader tries to take a middle of the road approach, but a very activist wing or aspect of his or his or her base demands a harder line. And so you saw Jason Kenney getting squeezed from the middle at every turn, particularly during the pandemic, particularly around pandemic and COVID restrictions. What happened through that time was the angrier, more libertarian, anti-mask, anti-restriction Albertans became the more they started taking their support away from the United Conservative Party in Alberta and moving it over to the Wild Rose Party. But it was that bleed away. It was the fracturing of the conservative base that really did Jason Kenney in. With the ascendance of Danielle Smith, we've seen Wild Rose in uh, Alberta go from about 10 points in voter intent all the way back down to just one point, basically decimal dust. And so uh, what we've seen is the reuniting of the United Conservative Party. Conservatives, whether they approve of or think that Premier Smith's Sovereignty Act is a good idea, whether they have a tremendous amount of confidence in her leadership as Premier, ideology often trumps or supersedes how you feel about a particular leader. And in this case, you will have more center-right voters in Alberta who may not be enamored of Premier Smith, but darned if they're going to cross the street and vote NDP. And so that's where we are at the end of 2022, uh, heading into an election season in Alberta, 
where it's competitive for both parties. But Smith has had an early victory in pulling the conservative movement back together. Yeah, 2023 with the election in Alberta, uh, election coming up in Alberta, agitation on the prairies overall. It's going to be a very interesting year. Do you think agitation on the prairies, sort of the battle, the constitutional tug of war that we're seeing now, do you think that's something to watch in 2023? As long as there have been conversations about people in Western Canada, and when we talk about Western Canada, people in particular in Alberta and Saskatchewan feeling marginalized or feeling like they're not part of the national conversation around energy policy or immigration policy or 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 fiscal policy or whatever it is. There can also sometimes be a bit of a down-the-nose view coming out of Ottawa around, oh gosh, you know, the Westerners are agitating again. If I look ahead to the to the beginning of next year, I can't help but really reflect on how we started 2022 again and sort of bring it back full circle. The Freedom Convoy, I think, really jarred a lot of people. But that sense of grievance, the passion, the fundraising, the sense of purpose and mission that these people felt that they were so disgruntled that they were going to jump in their cars and drive across the country and then many of them going to behave like morons for the for the better part of three weeks. What was driving that? What the heck is going on in terms of national unity, in terms of federalism, in terms of what is driving it, um, that people feel so impassioned that they are taking the steps that they're taking? And are the politics of division really helping us at the moment? I would I would suggest no, but let's have that conversation. Seems like the perfect place to wrap up what was a very fascinating 2022 in Canadian politics. Shachi Curl, thank you so much, as always, for your time. Thanks for having me.